We are starting our Advent series this morning, and so I think um, one of the things that I hear uh, around as I ask people kind of, uh, how, how are you doing? And one of the responses I get most often is, I just feel tired, right? It's been a, a beatdown of a last year and a half, at least, if not more than that, um, with all the things that have been happening, pandemic, elections, social injustice, and all of these things kind of piled up. And so just people saying, I just feel tired, right? I just need some energy. I just need a break. And so that's kind of the, 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 the thought behind this sermon series for Advent. We're calling it A Thrill of Hope. Um, it's from the line from O Holy Night where it says, A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And I feel like our world is weary um, in this moment. And so we're looking for hope. We're looking for reasons to rejoice. And so we'll be here the next three weeks. But what does a thrill of hope feel like? And when was the last time you felt it, right? That, that thrill, that rush through your body when you were like, oh, I'm, I'm going to win. I'm going to get the prize. Or the results are going to come back and it's going to be no cancer. Or I'm going to get the test results and I'm going to be fine. And you feel that rush through your body, that thrill of hope that makes you think everything's going to be okay and everything's going to be great. Right? That's what we're looking for. That's the hope that we're looking for in this season. And I'm going to kind of piggyback off of the situation we talked about last week of just being dead in our sins and trespasses. That's the state of the world. Now it was the state of the world when Jesus enters 2,000 years ago of people dead in their sins and trespasses waiting for someone to show up, waiting for God to show up. Actually, for the Israelites, it had been 400 years since they had had a prophet or someone say anything to them from God officially. And so they're waiting and wondering what's going to happen. So that's the situation that we're talking about for the next three weeks. And as we go through, I want to think about, I want you to be thinking about God's response, right, to that situation, God's answer, right? Because I don't think what God is going to do in the next three weeks, or that he did back then, is the same thing that we would do in that same situation. Right? We would feel urgent and need, like, something drastic needs to happen immediately. It needs to change tomorrow or this afternoon. We can't wait. But that's not how God responds. And how God responds tells us a lot about him. It reveals his true nature and character. So just keep that in mind as we go through. Um, we will be in Luke chapter 1 today. It's page 907 um, in the Bible in front of you. Um, you can also follow along in um, the, the uh, Brentwood Bible app. And so we're going to read it as we go. Usually I read it all up front and then we go through it. But Luke is, he's great at giving us lots of details. And so he's a little long-winded. So I'm not going to read you like 70 verses up front and then go through it again as we go. So we'll just read it. But we're going to see all the way through how we can have hope because of how God responds to this situation. And so let's start in verse 5. Um, verses 5 through 7, and we're going to start just looking at how we can find hope in basically God using unlikely people. So let's read 5 through 7 together. It says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife from the, was from the daughters of Aaron, <clears throat> and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. 
But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. And so we have this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, Zechariah from the priestly line served as a priest, um, but we also learn that his wife, Elizabeth, was from the line of Aaron, which is where the priest originally came from, Aaron being the first high priest. So it was kind of a double blessing, right, for them to be married together. Um, Think of it like they're set up for success. When they got married, right, two people from that line, you would kind of expect something big from them, something to happen, right? In addition to that, we learn they have lived righteous lives. They are obeying God's commands, right? They're doing all the right things. They're from the right line. They've married well, and so we would expect great things, but we find them when they're old, And not just old, but old with no children. So we have two righteous people, essentially from the outside, looking like they're set up for success, but they didn't quite get everything they wanted. Things didn't quite go their way, which would have included having children. Now, in the time that they were in, it was assumed that if you didn't have children, you had done something wrong. Basically, it was God disciplining you or sometimes punishing you by not letting you have children. And so that's another reason why it tells us they were righteous and they obeyed God's commands. Because he's saying very clearly their lack of children was not because of something they had done. It was not because they were sinners. It was not because they were off track. They were doing what they were supposed to do. But I always wondered, like, yes, I have three kids, and kids are great most of the time. But not having kids is, for us in this time, it's also okay. So I, I, I always wondered, like, why was it such a big deal to have children? And I discovered the answer to that, um, at least for the Jewish people, because for a Jewish person, the most important person who was ever going to exist for them would be the Messiah. And if you had children, especially a son, it was possible that your son could be the Messiah, and you could be the mother and father of the Messiah. And so if you didn't have children, that was not a possibility for you, right? You could miss out on the greatest opportunity that a Jewish person could ever live by not having children. And so that's a piece of why children were so important and why if you didn't have them, you were looked on with disgrace. And so we have Elizabeth looked at with disgrace in this society, they've been disgraced, they've been overlooked, they're now old with no hope of children. These would be the last people you would expect God to use These are to, or to do something big in. But that's not what God does. He doesn't just use those who are doing everything right, who are set up for success, who have all the things in line, who are doing everything perfectly. Right? He uses the most unlikely people, and he does it again and again and again and again. This story that we see here this morning is very similar to three stories in the Old Testament. We have Abraham and Sarah, right? Abraham was promised when he was young that he would have so many descendants they would outnumber the stars and the sea and the sand on the seashore. But he's old, and his wife is also old, and they have no kids. He's like, I don't know if this is ever going to happen, right? But one day an an angel shows up and tells him that they're going to have a son, and the funny thing is, Abraham laughs, and so the 
kid's name is actually laughter. Isaac, if you don't know, means laughter because Abraham laughed when he said he's going to have a kid. So very similar to that. Then we have Jacob and Rachel. Right? Jacob marries Rachel and some other people along the way. We won't get into that this morning. It was kind of a complicated situation, but Rachel was there and she couldn't have children. We, I think we could call her his favorite wife. Um, and so she couldn't have children. And at the very end, when they're old, she has a son. And they called him Joseph. And so if you know anything about biblical history, Joseph becomes a significant figure. And then we have Hannah later, who is in the same situation. She can't have children. She doesn't know what she's going to do. She prays to God. God gives her a son, and that son becomes Samuel. Samuel, who would become a great prophet in Israel, who would set Israel up for success, who would appoint kings for them. So this is a situation that God does again and again and again. God uses people the world would have discounted. Which is good news for us. Because I think most of us feel like we don't deserve great things to happen to us. Or we've done something wrong. Or maybe you're living a life of shame or embarrassment or insignificance. But what this is saying to us is, if that's you, if you feel like that, you don't have to be sad. You don't have to be depressed. God can still use you to do great things no matter what your situation is. If you feel all used up, God can still use you. He can still do great things in you. So God uses unlikely people. That's good news. That should give us hope because I think most of us would put ourselves in that category. We can also have hope in answered prayer. And for this, we're going to look at verses 8 through 14. So if you want to open your Bible back up, we get the next part of the story. And so this is Zechariah when his division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God. It happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. And there will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth." And so Zechariah is doing his normal priestly duties, and he gets to, chosen to go into the inner sanctuary and burn incense. And it's important to note that there were a lot of priests. One estimate I had this week was about 18,000. And so you basically had the opportunity to do what we just read Zechariah got to do once in your lifetime. So this was his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He was chosen at this time, and it says he went in to burn incense, which doesn't seem like a big deal to us because we don't really do that here, right? It's not something we're doing every Sunday or on a regular basis. But burning incense symbolized prayer, right? The fragrant incense going up and the smoke from it is a picture of our prayers ascending to God, we see this symbolism in the Psalms and again in Revelation, where Revelation talks about the incense or the, the prayers of the people are incense to God. We know they're praying also. He's praying in there because the people all outside are praying the same time that he goes in. 
So Zechariah is in the temple. He has this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to offer prayers, essentially directly to God, because this is the closest place you can get to God on earth. So if you were in that situation, what would you pray for? Right? This is my one chance, talking directly to God. He's most likely to hear me in this moment. Well, what do you think Zechariah prays for? Well, I think he was praying for two things. Um, one, I think he was praying for a son, right? which I think is pretty obvious from the what el- everything else that we know at his, from his story. I don't think he had given up yet. This had been at the top of their prayer list, I think, for decades. right? For their whole lives, they had been praying to have a child. But they kept praying, they kept seeking God, even though it seemed unlikely to happen. The other thing I think he was most likely praying for was salvation and restoration for Israel, because that was his job as a priest to represent Israel to God on their behalf. And so he was doing his job and praying for the Israelites to see the Messiah, to be restored, to experience salvation. And as he is praying, he gets the answer to his prayer. And here we see our first messenger in our passage. An angel appears. And I was reading and I kind of saw what happened with this encounter with the angel and it made me curious. And so I went and checked several others and I noticed that there's a pattern when an angel shows up. So if you look without scripture, you'll see these four things almost every time. The angel appears. The person, it doesn't tell us, but it like the angel's first response is, don't be afraid. Like almost every time an angel shows up, the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. Then the angel gives you some kind of message or announcement. The person who's receiving it will ask a question, and then the angel will respond with some sort of um, action or kind of what will happen next in what is happening. We'll see that next week with Mary and with Joseph, but even if you look Old Testament, it's kind of the same pattern of where the angel shows up. And so we see the first two here. The angel shows up and he says, don't be afraid, right? And then he gives this him the message, right? You will have a son and he will be a joy and delight and many are going to rejoice it at his birth. Um, the question that he asks is actually in verse 18. We'll get to that in a second. But the question he asks is, how can I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And then Gabriel responds to that and tells him what is going to happen. Um, One of those things is he won't be able to talk until the son is born. So even though he was praying and knew what God was going to do, he receives this message. And so um, the main point of the message from the angel is your prayer has been heard and it is going to be answered. Well, I just told you he was praying for two things. And so you may ask, which one of those prayers is being answered? Is he getting a son or is, he, or is Israel going to be delivered? Are they going to receive salvation? And the answer actually is both. They're getting both in this situation. And I don't think Zechariah in his wildest dreams imagined that he would have a child and that that child will be a part of the salvation of Israel. But that's the message he receives. The answer to his prayer was bigger than he expected. Yes, he was going to get a son. 
but also his son was going to be a part of Israel's salvation. The answer to his prayer wasn't just a small, insignificant thing that God did. It was part of God working in the world. And the answer to your prayer is exactly the same as this. Right? It's not some small, insignificant thing that God is going to do in your life. It is part of God working in the world. But also know, it took a long time for this prayer to be answered. Right? From when they were young, 20 probably at the latest, latest at this time, they probably got married way before that. And old, the old people in the Old Testament who had kids were in their 90s. So they had been praying this for decades and decades, but they didn't give up and they just kept praying. So for you, whatever you're praying for, whatever that thing is at the top of your list, whatever you would ask God for, if you're like, I just think it's never going to happen. Keep praying. Pray faithfully because God answers prayer. But he doesn't always answer it on our time. He answered it on his time, which is what we see next, right? A kind of how God has been working in the world. So we can also have hope in preparation. And that's really the hardest part, I think, the preparation, right? Think about having people over for the holidays or whatever it is. Um, some of you keep your houses clean like all the time, which is amazing. We don't really do that at our house. Um, we just clean a whole lot when people show up or are coming over um, really fast. But that's part of the preparation. Even if you think your house is clean, I'm sure you do extra cleaning when people are coming over because that's what you do. So you do all this prep and you prepare rooms and you get food ready and you're doing all of this work. And it's hard, but it's necessary for what is going to come after. It has to happen before the payoff, before the party, before the results, before the visitors, before the fun. But I wonder if this week, if, if, we, if we think about being prepared spiritually, right? And that may be a hard concept for us to understand because as we talk about salvation and the gospel, right, when you come to Christ and you turn your life over to him, believing that you are a sinner in need of grace and redemption and salvation, and you trust in his work on the cross on your behalf. When you believe that, in an instant, everything is changed. Right? You are a new creation in Christ. You receive the Holy Spirit. You are justified before God. All of that happens immediately. And so the idea of preparation sometimes can be difficult for us because everything, a whole bunch of stuff happens all at once. But after that moment, I think it's basically a life of preparation, right? We're preparing to be with God for all eternity. Think of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were being prepared their whole lives for this moment. Everything that they went through, they had to be old. They had to be barren. They had to suffer the disgrace and being overlooked and the snickers at the market and people talking about them behind their back and wondering what they had done wrong, why they didn't have children. Right? They had to go through all of that to be prepared. And his struggles, their struggles, moved them to prayer. He probably wouldn't have prayed as urgently if he was young or if he already had children. 
But the same is true for us. God is using whatever you are going through, even if your situation is different than other people your age, even if you feel left behind or left out, or everybody else is so far ahead of me, or this person did this, and I'm, I'm not even close to being that yet. I should be way further ahead than where I am. He's preparing you. And I'm asking, this is not the easiest thing to ask. Don't waste your preparation by doubting and being depressed and comparing to other people. Use your preparation and understanding that God is working in you to motivate you to pray and to seek God and to turn to Him. Because not only had God prepared Zechariah and Elizabeth for this moment by everything they had gone through, He is also going to use their son to prepare people as well. So let's pick it back up in verse 14, and we're going to read 14 through 17. So we can see, who would this child be? What would he do in the world? He says, there will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Keep in mind, this is before Jesus. So the Holy Spirit didn't just spend his, their, his whole life with someone, right? The Holy Spirit was kind of a case-by-case basis, person-by-person basis for a specific period of time. So for us, we would say, oh yes, it's normal for somebody to have the Holy Spirit once for, for most of their life. That's not the situation. So that was unique. But then in verse 16, this tells us what he will do. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and make the disobedient and to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. This part about kind of turning them back to the hearts of their children, this is a quote from Malachi 4 that talks about a prophet that would come. We'll come back to that in a minute. But this son who would be named John prepares for the Messiah, right? God understood that the world needed a deliverer. They needed salvation. They needed somebody to step in. But he doesn't just send him on his own ahead of everyone. He sends someone, a messenger, to prepare first, right? We want God to break in and to fix everything in an instant. And the hard part, again, Theology makes it hard sometimes because we know that God can do that. He could fix the situation in your life right now, in this moment. He could take away your pain, your suffering, your depression. He could give you everything that you're praying for. He could do it. But we kind of live in this in-between, right? In-between now and when Jesus will come back and make everything the way it's supposed to be. Right? And it's hard to live in the in-between It's hard to live in those places, but God is always working. He is always preparing, right? Look at what he sent John to do, to turn many to the Lord, like an Old Testament prophet, which is why he says he will go in the power and spirit of Elijah, right? Again, he's quoting Malachi. Then he will go before the Lord, Right? He's the preparation. He won't be the Messiah, 
but he will prepare the way. And I think some of what God is saying is the people weren't ready for the Messiah yet. Even after all of this time, they still needed a little more preparation. They needed a little bit more time. But he would do those things in order to do what? In order to turn their hearts back to God and back to righteousness. And it's this line at the end that really struck me this week. To make ready for the Lord a prepared people. What a goal to have, right? What a goal for us to be a prepared people. Prepared for whatever God wanted to do next in your life. Prepared to be used. Prepared to serve. Prepared even to suffer. Right? So I, I hope that you might consider that this season and just say, God, just prepare me for whatever I need to be prepared for, for whatever is coming next, for however you want to use me. I also know from experience, that's a scary prayer to pray, right? To prepare me for what's coming next because you never know what God is going to do, how he's going to work in you and what it might look like. And so we have hope in preparation as we are in our lives, wherever you're at, you're being prepared for what's coming but we also have hope in fulfillment. Hope in fulfillment. And we see in several things that we're about to read and go through that God fulfills. Yes, he prepares. Yes, he answers prayer, but he fulfills his promises. As a fun side note, just to kick off this section, um, Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. It means Yahweh remembers. So when Zechariah has a son who prepares for the Messiah, he's just saying, of course, because Yahweh remembers his promises. He remembers what he would do. He is true to his message. And so let's pick it up in verse 18 and kind of see as we go through all the things that were fulfilled in this passage. Right, so we have the angel making the proclamation, then we pick it up with Zechariah's question, how can I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Um, if you want a nice way to say your wife is getting older, this, you could try this one. She's well along in years. It sounds a little better than saying she's old, I think. Then verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you. And to tell you this good news, now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Right? There will be fulfillment, but that fulfillment will happen in their proper time. God had a plan, and he knew each step along the way. He knew how it would unfold. The same thing is true for us. He knows how things will unfold in your life. He has a plan. When God does something, it doesn't happen early. It doesn't happen late. It happens right on time. The trouble for us is we want it to happen on our time, not on his time. We want it to happen when we want it, when we need it, according to our plan. But here, Zechariah and Elizabeth were going to get more than they had ever hoped for. They just had to wait for it. 
And God will do the same for you. He will give you more than you could ever hope for. You just have to wait. And then in verses 21 to 25, we get the fulfillment of the angel's message, this proclamation that she will have a child. In 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. And when he did not come out, and when he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. And when the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. Can you imagine having the greatest experience of your life and not being able to tell anybody about it? Which is essentially what Zechariah just did. He just had this mountaintop moment in the sanctuary before God. An angel shows up and makes all of his dreams come true. And he can't tell anybody. Nobody can understand. There's kind of goes back and forth if he just couldn't speak or if he also couldn't hear. So if he was deaf and mute or just mute. But either way, he couldn't express what he had just experienced in the temple. But then we get the fulfillment. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. And she said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with faith. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. It happened just as the angel had promised. And notice what it says. It will take away my disgrace. All the things that she had been through, all the pain, all the suffering, all of the conversations. Right? She would now be restored and that's part of God's plan and purpose, was to restore Elizabeth, to give a story of restoration, to take shame and turn it into honor and glory. This is what God does. He takes shame and brokenness, and He turns it into honor and glory and fullness. It's His specialty. It's what He does better than anything else. And he can do the same for you. He can take whatever it is you have, whatever it is you're going through, and he can turn it around to something magnificent. Then we see fulfillment in John actually being born. And for this, we're going to skip all the way down to verse 57. We'll pick up the in-between next week. So don't feel like you're missing out. So in 57, it says, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. And when they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, No, he will be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives has that name. And so they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they were all amazed. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. And fear or awe came on all those who lived around them. And all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. Now they were being talked about for a different reason. right? Because what, uh, what God had done in their lives. And then verse 66, all who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. And so it was fulfilled. They had the child. They named him John. And Zechariah, as soon as he says his name will be John, 
His mouth was opened and he could speak. Right? When he believed and confessed what God had done, everything was different from that moment forward. And the story of God working in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth had everyone talking about it. Who is this child going to be? And we already got a little bit of that. But we get a little bit more in what comes next. And we get kind of this song of praise from Zechariah about what he has experienced and what is going to happen. His reaction to what God has done. And that's verses 67 through 79. And so we would expect that Zechariah, in his song of praise, this song would be all about this new son that he has, right? That John was born, that God had answered his prayer. But that's not actually what we see first in Zechariah's song of praise. We get something different at the beginning. So let me just read some of it for you. It says, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets in his ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And so the first thing we see in Zechariah's praise is actually not about his son. It's about the one his son would prepare the way for. It's about the deliverance that would come through the Messiah that God had remembered because like I said before, this is, there are quotes from Malachi all through here. This is Malachi 3.1. It says, See, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming. All of these things are coming together in, these, in John and what we'll see in Jesus next week. So we see the Messiah is coming. And then we see specifically what he says about John in these next verses, picking it up in verse 76. It says, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew up and became spiritually strong, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. And so John would come, and we'd see this fulfillment. He would go before the Lord, and he would do what? He would prepare 
he would prepare the way, continue to prepare his people for the knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And so he praises God that he fulfilled everything that he said he would do, not just for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but for all of Israel. This little thing, this little baby being born was a much bigger impact than what we would think. But notice what happened to John after he was born. Everybody made a big deal about him, and he was famous from the first day. And he had this great ministry from the beginning, and he got all the best things. No. He goes into the wilderness until he shows up later when he's older. Right? God was preparing him, and he sensed the messenger. But even there, we still have to wait. It was still more preparing to be done. And as we kind of bring all of this together this morning, I actually want to end with Zechariah's question in the middle. Right? When the angel says, I'm going to answer your prayer. And he says, how can I know this? How can I know that this will actually happen? How can I know that this will be true? I think for us, we may ask the same question. Even if God said, I'm going to answer your prayer, we might say, how can I know that? How can I trust it? How can I believe that it is true? How can I know that you are at work in my life? How can I know you will come through? Because I am tired. I am weak. I am depressed. I am sinful. I am hurting. I am broken. How could God work in my life? Well, it's the same thing we saw here. Yes, Zechariah and Elizabeth were old and barren and probably tired. But God was not. And he worked in their lives and he did great and amazing things through unlikely people, just as he can do for us, right? So the answer is similar to lots of other passages that we see. And the one that we just talked about last week in Ephesians, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, but God stepped in. And so we can have hope in this season because God uses unlikely people. So God can use you to do great and magnificent things in your life and in his glory. We can have hope because God answers prayers. He is listening. He will respond. It may take a lot longer than we would ever expect. But keep praying Keep praying for those family members who aren't yet believers, who you've been praying for for decades. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep praying for those who are far away from God, who are running away from Him. Pray for those who are hurting. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your spouses. Pray for our neighborhood. Pray for our church. Keep praying because God answers prayers. We can have hope because God is always preparing us. He is always getting us ready for the next thing. He is always working in our lives. 
So today, if you feel lost, if you feel behind, if you feel like you don't know what you're doing or where you're supposed to be or how God is going to use you, keep going. Keep seeking Him because He is preparing you for what is coming. And we can have hope because God fulfills His plan and His promises. Right? This is just a handful of verses about John. And we see them connected to Malachi and before that, and we'll see a ton more next week when we get to Jesus and his birth. God always fulfills his plan and his promises. He doesn't forget. He doesn't give up. He doesn't fail. He always comes through. And he does this because of who he is. And in verse 78, you don't, you don't have to turn there if you don't want. Um, you can just listen. He kind of gives us like, he says in his praise, Zechariah is saying, hey, you're going to send us the Messiah and you sent my son to prepare the way. And you're doing all of these great things. And then verse 78 actually tells us why he's doing all of those things. And verse 78 says, he's doing this because of our God's merciful compassion. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God does all of these things because of his merciful compassion. Because he loves you, because he cares about you, because he wants what's best for you. That's what God does. And we can have hope because that same God that we saw show up to Zechariah and Elizabeth who created the birth of John and all of the situation is the same God that we worship today who can break into our lives in exactly the same way. And because of that, we can have hope. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for stories like this where kind of we see pieces all come together. And we see your, your word from the prophets of old connect to what we see happening in the New Testament. And we see Zechariah and Elizabeth being used to do something great. And so we pray and hope and trust that you will do the same in us, that you will do something great in us that will use us and move us. So help us in this season to have hope, no matter where we are and what's going on. To have hope that you are preparing us, that you are working, that you will answer our prayers. That you will give us peace, that you will give us strength, that you will give us energy. For our weary world, you will bring peace and hope so that we can trust in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.